Hey everyone, David here with Compass Morning Med. So you may have heard this expression before, good fences make good neighbors. Now, if we break that apart, I suppose it's trying to say that we do best when we're not in each other's grill. In other words, you keep your distance and I'll keep mine. It's kind of funny that right now during the COVID-19 crisis, uh, we have to emphasize social distancing when apparently, according to this piece of sage advice, good fences already make good neighbors. I mean, didn't we know that already? And don't we all kind of like to have a little bubble around us? So I wanted to talk to you about this today because of my experience with fences. Back when we had, my wife and I had our first house, and before we had kids, we also had a couple of dogs. And I think terrier and terrorist come from the same root word, if you take my understanding. Just kidding, I, I, we loved Emily, she was amazing. She had uh, incredible power in her hind legs, and she used this in a number of different ways, both to our entertainment and to our great frustration. I'll share a minute about how uh, entertaining she was. We had these little flexible frisbees, we called them flippy floppers. I think that's actually what the name was printed on the uh, top of this little canvas uh, ring. But we would go out, and I remember very specifically once we were at the dunes in Michigan, where we were living at the time, and it was just, I mean, this was exactly what a dog would love. We, we would fling this thing out as hard and as fast as we could, and no matter how we did that, Emily could run, outrun, and get ahead of this thing, and just at the point where it was lofting and kind of hovering and just about to start caving into the pull of gravity, she would jump and catch this thing in her mouth, and it was uh, just the funnest thing to watch. I mean, it was just seeing how animals' instinct and intelligence and unique abilities all blended together. As I said before, Emily's uh, great jumping abilities were also a uh, source of uh, myriad frustrations. She had a phobia about loud noises that would cause her to run uncontrollably away from us. If she was confined in the house and there was a loud noise outside, like during the 4th of July, which of course was the worst time of year for us, she would uh, tear, try to tear through doors. When I say tear, I mean she would just start clawing and biting at the wood. So we had a lot of repairs to do when we moved out of that house. But we decided this was a, a good reason to have a fence around our yard. And so at a fair amount of cost, but mostly an incredible amount of elbow grease, we built uh, a six-foot-high privacy fence around what was essentially a half-acre lot. So it was quite sizable, and it took a whole summer to hand-dig all those post holes snap the line, keep everything level, and then put up all the fence panels, including a, a pretty wide gate across the driveway that came beside the house and that this fence had to be able to cross to create an enclosure. So after we did all of that and the last fence panel was in and the last uh, hinge and clasp was installed on this on this enormous gate, we finally let Emily out into the backyard and we thought this was going to be great. And she and the big Labrador we had, you know, could have this whole area to just run around and enjoy the great outdoors. Well, um, 
We went inside after watching her a bit and feeling content in our work when just a few moments later we heard scratching at the front door. Now the front door was not part of this fence enclosure and so we opened the front door and there was Emily. Uh, we thought, well, <laughs> surely she didn't jump this fence. First of all, we noticed that our dumpster, one of these uh, dumpsters that comes with your garbage service, was right against the fence at one place. So we thought, well, she must have jumped up there and then jumped over the fence. So we relocated the, the little rollaway dumpster to another part of the yard uh, away from the fence, put her back out there, and went back inside and as you can probably imagine from the way this story is going she was at the front door just a few minutes later. It took us a little while to actually see it happen but Emily was able to jump so that her back legs would reach after this first leap her back legs would reach to the top fence rail so at about the four and a half five foot mark and she could get onto that rail and then just launch herself right across the rest of the fence. So this fence was absolute futility when it came to our original purpose for it. And social distancing is going to work to a certain extent for us during the COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, but as we know, it's, it's an imperfect cure. In fact, it's not a cure at all. Now, all of this has a little bit of a spiritual application. Uh, which is why I'm sharing it. And the application has to do with the idea of law. When uh, preachers or teachers are talking about God's law, uh, which is a major theme in the Bible, oftentimes we apologetically refer to it as guidelines that God has put in place to help us be safe. And so it's like a guardrail at the edge of a cliff, or it's like a fence uh, for a young child so that they don't run out into the busy street. And that is a good way to describe the need that we have. We definitely need to be protected from danger. Human nature is such that we are inherently uh, self-destructive which is sort of a paradox because we also are infected with self-love. So you would think we would take care of ourselves, but the sinful self does not understand how to do that. And so, so we describe God's law as this protective boundary. Uh, the only problem is that that really underestimates the uh, enormity of the sin problem. Just like Emily, Emily's nature was to get out of the fence. She loved to jump. Now that's a very good thing and we love that about her. But compare that to human nature. Human nature is such that we don't like fences. The moment there's a fence or a barrier or a guardrail, we want to climb over it. I mean, even if you're at the edge of the Grand Canyon, let's face it, Dad has always had that moment where mom is going hysterical because dad just wants to get a little closer to get a picture. It's kind of like something my family always accuses me of when I shuffle them into the safe room in our house during a tornado. They know I'm not going to join them. I'm going to go to the back door and watch. And uh, this is particularly frustrating to my teenage son who is also very curious and I'm sure eventually will follow in my footsteps because of course I'm following in my own father's footsteps. He was always at the back door 
uh, while we were under the stairs to the basement. And human nature goes on and on like this from generation to generation. Fences just don't work for us. And so that's why the law is really never given as a solution to sin. It is not going to do that job, no matter how much we might want it to. And that's why I'm really thankful to be able to share a passage from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34 contain a new covenant promise. Now, covenant is essentially an agreement. And the giving of the law at Mount Sinai is often described as the Old Covenant. Now, without going into a lot of uh, theological analysis on the depth of that subject, and I think covenant is a major theme from the beginning to the end of the Bible, I just want to point out that the everlasting covenant that God wants to make with us is right here in this text. And I'm just going to read the second half. The first half contrasts it with the old covenant, but the new covenant promise is this, and I'll start partway through verse 33. The Lord says, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and their sin, I will remember no more. So first of all, let's be clear, God is the only solution to sin. He is the sin solver, the sin healer in the Bible narrative from beginning to end. But specifically, he does that through an inside job. He has to change our nature because there is no fence big enough to make us a good neighbor. I'm thankful to God today. I'm thankful that I have witnessed his heart-changing power in my own life. I have experienced situations where I know I did not choose to make the right decision and then follow through with a right action. I may have willed uh, or seen and identified with, through his grace, the right thing to do. But uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament makes it pretty clear that just wanting to do it is not enough. And so I'm thankful for God's power that puts that law, that new principle of how to behave in my heart. And he does this a little bit at a time. He is a very careful wordsmith and he knows how to write that law in just the way that I need it so that I can become more like him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the good news of your law-giving power and that you have not given it as something for us to hear and somehow try to internalize. Uh, Lord, by nature, we don't want that. But secondly, we want to thank you that you bring this transformation directly to where it needs to be. You deliver it right to our front door, to the front door of our hearts. Today, we uh, are thankful that you are writing that change within us. We want to say yes to you again today, and we praise and thank you that you are our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.